This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. with a kiss, Santa Claus. It's gonna be a hot time in the cool town tonight. Burn, baby, burn! Guys, I'm eating junk and watching... Walking. You better come out and stop me. Hi, this is Dick Miller. If you're listening to Junk Food Cinema, who are these guys? Miss Junkions, you have returned for a festive new episode of Junk Food Cinema, brought to you by FilmScoreRejects.com. Dot com. Dot com. Dot. You gotta admit, we played this stinking podcast like a harp from hell. This is, of course, the weekly cult and exploitation film cast so good, it just has to be fattening. I'm your host, Brian Salisbury, and I'm joined, as per usual, by my friend and co-host. He is a novelist. He is a screenwriter, a lieutenant of Megaforce, the thorn in our sides, the fly in our ointment, Mr. C. Robert Cargill. Hi. How's it going, man? It is going well. Uh, very well, actually. Um, this is an interesting week. Uh, this was a movie that I approved, even though I don't like it. What? What? Or rather, should say, didn't like it. Cargill. Uh, aggressively, aggressively didn't like it and have a newfound respect for this movie. Is this two cinema redemptions in a fucking row? In, in a row. Series? Yeah. Consecutive film rede- Cargill. Cargill. I, I, here's the thing. I wanted to revisit this movie for a long time. Uh, it played at the New Beverly uh, w- went right after they reopened from the pandemic. And the number of people who were reevaluating this film really kind of surprised me. And people talked about, you know, it's a Christmas movie. And I was like, well, I remember Christmas being there. And then it's like, man, this movie's really great. And and it really doesn't get the respect it's due. And I was like, well, I should rewatch it because I remember not digging at the time. And I have great reasons for why I did not dig it at the time. Uh, But man, do I really respect and like this movie now. Absolutely incredible. And if you're into reevaluating film, I highly recommend you check out our back catalog. 10 years worth of episodes on your favorite platform. You can also follow us on social media at junk food cinema. And if you really like the show, I mean, you really like the show. You like it as much as this movie loves it. Some latex. You can go to patreon.com slash junk food cinema for as little as a dollar an episode. You are supporting the show and we greatly appreciate it. This is not just our Christmas episode, Cargill. This is our Christopher Walkenmas episode because we are still walking in a winter wonderland. Santa Claus, afraid not. Wow! Oh, wowie! Wow, wow, wow! The ice is 
gonna break. See how funny it is when I bury your face in the yellow snow. I'm walking in a winter wonderland. You're welcome. And as such, I felt like, because again, Christopher is the reason for the season. Keep Christopher in Christmas. I felt that in this edition of Walking Down Memory Lane, I'm going to focus entirely on trivia from Batman Returns. Before Christopher Walken took the role of Max Shrek, it was turned down by one David Bowie. This would mark the second time Walken accepted a role intended for Bowie, the first being uh, Max Oren in A Beautiful Kill. Tim Burton was hesitant to work with Christopher Walken because Walken, quote, scared the hell out of Tim Burton. Walken's Max Shrek is named after the actor who played Count Orlok in Nosferatu. In an early version of the screenplay for Batman Returns, Harvey Dent was to return and would once again be played by Billy D. Williams. This iteration of the film included a subplot about Dent's transformation into the villain Two-Face by way of electric kiss by Selina Kyle. And when that subplot was scrapped, the character of Harvey Dent was replaced with original creation Max Shrek. Cargill, Batman doesn't just exist. Batman doesn't just begin. Batman returns. From the sewers of Gotham, a new villain emerges. You didn't invite me, so I crashed! From the rooftops of Gotham, the perfect enemy comes to life. Yeah. The only one who can save this city is a creature of the night. Hey, stud. I thought we had something together. We do. While she craves a romance, she can sink her claws into. You can't into a girl. He plots a foul reign of destruction. Above Gotham looms its greatest hero. Kind of. Kind of. He kind of returns to junk food cinema in that I don't think we've done another Batman movie. Uh, so for us, this is Batman Begins to be on junk food cinema. Yes. Yeah. We, we've mostly <clears throat> avoided the superhero films, uh, overall. Um, and, uh, this was, this was the Batman films are really complicated, um, in terms of what they were at the time. And, uh, they were, they were big hits, you know, they were, they were cultural milestones, but for those of us comic book fans, it felt goofy. And it felt goofy in a way that um, they were not treating the comic material with respect. And it, and it felt like they were treating them like they were fairy tales. Uh, so why did I come around again? Uh, uh, come around on this because it's a superhero fairy tale. And the fact that it's different and wonderful in its own way and not like everything else really does stand out. Uh, now that we've gotten the serious Batman movies, I kind of do love this weird borderline campy borderline adult 
uh, take on the material. Because this is a, you know, as Cargill mentioned, this is a Christmas superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't something we would get again until Shane Black was allowed into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yep. This is this is just not a thing you see very often. And it's and Cargill's right. It's not just, oh, it happens to take place at Christmas. This is like Shane Black running around on shattered glass with bare feet with John McClane levels of Christmas in this movie. Yeah. And it's one of the things I love most about it. But the other thing I love most about it is, you know, our friends over at We Hate Movies have a term that they use, uh, sequelitis, where sometimes sequels are so beholden to the first one that they spend an inordinate amount of time calling back to the original, connecting things so that you know that it's a sequel. And what I love about Batman Returns is it's not so much a Ghostbusters 2 as it is a Bill and Ted's bogus journey in that it's not entirely like the first one at all. If the first movie was 50% Tim Burton, and I do love the 89 Batman, and and I appreciate the success of the 89 Batman, but even within the 89 Batman, There's a lot of Tim Burton, but the movie is still basically 50% Burton, 50% studio. When that movie made all of the money, the studio wanted Burton back so bad that the way they coaxed him, but he didn't want to do it. He doesn't like to do sequels. And the way they coaxed him is like, what if we let you do your movie? This will be a completely Tim Burton Batman movie. So he was given a long leash to work on this film. And it shows because this is 100 fucking percent a Tim Burton movie. What it's not is 100% a Batman movie. <laughs> I can't argue with that. The weird thing about this movie and what I didn't like at the time. And again, what I, what I found uh, in, you know, uh, different this time. And what I really appreciated was that it's not a Batman movie. The movie isn't about Batman. Batman has one, one uh, uh, plot line through this entire movie and it's falling in love with Selena Kyle. Yeah. It's uh, this entire his the entire movie is about him and his relationship with these villains. This movie is about three different villains and about the motivations of those three villains and how they work together to fight the Batman, which was a very very prominent um, plot line, common plot line in the old Batman TV series and prominent throughout the you know the history of the comics, <clears throat> but to see them all work together and then all betray one another because they're all fucking villains. They can't be trusted. They can't work together. They can only be allies for a short period of time before they try to kill each other. And that is a fascinating fucking movie to watch, especially with three incredible actors playing three incredible incarnations of these villains. One, an original, but, you know, uh, fucking put Christopher Walken in a wig and let him be Christopher Walken. Uh, fuck yeah, that's uh, that's as Batman as it fucking gets. Uh, my, my one complaint about that is we don't get one great Walkenism of, when it comes to, to, to Batman. We don't get one who is the Batman. <laughs> and I want that so bad. You know, we have to kill the Batman. Um, and we don't get that. And, and it's very sad because we, we are owed that like Christopher walking in a Batman movie. We need that. We need him to hit that high register there. Uh, and we don't get it, but otherwise he's fucking great. Um, and then, you know, your other two villains, that's who the movie's really about. We spend more time in the movie with Selena Kyle than we ever spend with Batman. 
uh, Batman only every once in a blue moon shows up with Alfred at his house while he's watching the villains. Um, and then he leaves to go fight the villains. And the only time he's not uh, going to fight the villains, he's going to talk to the villains or date the villains. Like he literally the entire there are very few moments where it's just Batman being Batman, you know, or Bruce Wayne. They, it, it, he is a secondary character to this movie. And I find that so fucking fascinating. And I cannot wait to talk about Max Shrek because I firmly believe that this is the most Christopher Walken that Christopher Walken has ever been in a film. And I know that's a bold statement because there are many examples, but Christopher Walken is so walking in this film. How walking is he? That he's doing an impression of himself. He's doing, you know, every asshole like me that does a Christopher Walken impression, he's doing that to impersonate himself. Power surplus, Bruce. Shame on you. No such thing. One can never have too much power. If my life has a meaning, that's the meaning. The levels of of reality that I am describing right now, like this podcast should just fold in on itself, but that is entirely what he is doing in this movie. Crime boss, show us what you know, mister. Meantime, I got better fish to fry. But we need to go back and talk about the, the genesis of this film because this is a fascinating study in artistic expression versus studio expectation versus pop culture expectation like so much of this movie and what it was going to be what it became what they were planning on doing and how it got how basically warner brothers created a monster and then they they lamented the monster because when you tell tim burton we want you back so bad that we're going to let you do whatever you want you can't then punish tim burton for making a tim burton movie and that's kind of exactly what happened and why tim burton's third movie that was planned didn't get off the ground. And we'll talk about that too, but we got to go back before we talk about Batman returns. We need to talk about ham waters. And when I say ham waters, I am not talking about the leftover detritus of your high school cafeteria after lunchtime. No, I'm talking about Sam ham and I'm talking about Daniel waters, the credited screenwriters on this movie. Sam ham wrote the original screenplay and the original screenplay was basically a direct sequel to the previous Batman that had continuity subplots about, you know, gift shops are selling fragments of the destroyed Batwing. We get more insights to Jack Napier's past and Vicki Vale was going to return and it was going to end with Bruce Wayne proposing to her. And the other big thing is that it was going to bring back Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent. And it was going to show, you know, his becoming two face, as I mentioned in, in, you know, walking down memory lane, Essentially, when Harvey Dent gets excised from the movie, they just replace him with this character, Max Shrek. And that's where we get walking into the film. But the other thing is that it was going to have Robin. It was going to have the Robin character who was going to be played by Marlon Wayans. And they went so far that he signed a contract. He got paid to do it, even though that plot got cut out of the movie entirely. You know, there were wardrobe fittings. There was even a fucking action figure released. He was going to play the Tim Drake Robin, and it just didn't happen. And, you know, the storyline was going to be basically Penguin and Catwoman are uh, invading the houses of all the wealthiest people in Gotham looking for some kind of hidden treasure, and that's how they end up at Wayne Manor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Tim Burton does not like this script. He decides not to go with it, and he brings in Daniel Waters, who wrote Heather's 
which is a dark comedy that by the you know starred his his friend uh Winona Ryder. He absolutely loved it. And it was in fact Daniel Waters who came up with the concept of you know an evil business mogul who's backing a bid for the mayor's office by the penguin and like a lot of the sort of political subtext of this movie, you know, the the anti-capitalist, anti-fascist sort of like uh the subplots of this movie, the subtext of this movie is all Daniel Waters. But it is interesting to think that like this movie was going to be one thing, you know, they get Burton on board. Burton decides he doesn't like the script. So he's already changing things and making this entirely his own. He's bringing in Bo Welch, the production designer from Beetlejuice because his original production designer from the 89 Batman was contractually obligated to another project. And it's Bo Welch who comes up with the idea of these giant fucking like Russian statues. And you really... As you go through this movie and you understand the long leash that Burton was given, you see how all of his obsession with German expressionism comes into the movie. You know, again, Max Schreck, you know, obviously named after the actor who played Count Orlock. And you have all these references to Metropolis, you know, in the in just the production design and the special effects. And again, understanding all of this and understanding how it became such a huge Tim Burton movie, one of the reasons he didn't want Robin in the film is because Tim Burton sees Batman as a character who doesn't want the spotlight, who wants to remain in the shadows. So having a character for him to give speeches to and have more dialogue was not something that Burton wanted. So to your point, Cargill, you're absolutely right. This is not a Batman movie. By design, this is not a Batman movie. All of the lines, all of the interesting material is given to the villains because Tim Burton sees Batman as a guy who doesn't say much and stays in the shadows. Like he is hardcore keeping to the Batman of his comic books that he read. And I think that's really interesting because one of the biggest problems a lot of people had with the Burton movies is they don't feel like it was faithful to the comic books. So it's like, it's like, you know, you can't please all the people. Well, apparently Burton had the ability to displease everyone at certain periods but i think that's what makes this movie so fascinating as you said because it's a burton movie it's not a batman movie yeah no 100 percent. and you're bringing back michael keaton who didn't want to come back they literally had to pay him 11 million dollars like a huge sum in the early 90s to reprise this role and the only reason he did that is when he when he heard burton was on board with the script he's like all right let's do it again i i don't really know how i'm going to make it different from the first time um, so he's a little bit apprehensive. And then, you know, they've got Catwoman and they've got the Penguin and the studio is the one pushing the Penguin because the studio thinks that the Penguin is the number two Batman villain. And I kind of wanted to stop here for a second, Cargill. Batman is the only comic that I've read with regularity. And I have never considered the Penguin to be the number two Batman villain. No, but but that's because you're you're looking at the comics um, and not where we were in the pop culture at the time, because the penguin was absolutely all over the original 66 Batman. He was all over the, um, uh, the various cartoons that he showed up on, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, on super friends and things like that. He was one of the villains. Uh, he was a villain that everyone knew. Uh, and that made sense because it was, you know, uh, uh, it worked with the whole bat motif. Uh, you know, you didn't have uh, villains like Bane didn't exist yet um, and weren't part of the pop culture. And so it was really the it was the big four. Um, and then you had a couple others after that that people were familiar with. So, of course, you know, you're talking the Joker, you're talking the Riddler, you're talking Catwoman, you're talking uh, uh, the Penguin. And then beyond that, people knew who Two-Face was. 
uh, and, and a handful of the other, you know, Mr. Freeze and things like that, um, all made sense. But yeah, at the time, pop culturally speaking, the penguin was the number two most well-known, uh, Batman villain. After these messages, we'll be right back. Batman Returns, the greatest new cereal Gotham City has ever known. Now it's marshmallow and chocolate flavored. With the amazing new Batmobile and incredible new villains. Catwoman. The Penguin. It's deliciously crunchy chocolate flavored cereal and great marshmallow shapes. The action-packed cereal that's part of this complete breakfast. Batman Returns. There's never been a cereal like it. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like, if casual and cool, had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the deal. It goes down. It go down in the deal. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And it's interesting you mentioned the 66 show uh, or the 60s TV show because there is actually a season two couplet of episodes where the penguin runs for mayor of Gotham City. Mm -hmm. And the way that he does this is he stages a mugging that he breaks. So almost entirely the method that Danny DeVito's penguin uses in this movie. And it's from a pair of episodes called his honor, the penguin and dishonor the penguin season two episodes 17 and 18. So I, I can't imagine that this was just accidental. No, you know, as opposed to Daniel waters, just knowing enough about Batman as a character in several different media to borrow a little bit from this. And, and I do think it's interesting the amount of like, how they are they're making bold statements about about capitalism and about how capitalism can actually use fascism as a helpful tool to be its own sort of fascism like this movie message wise is kind of really ahead of its time and it's bringing all this to a movie that again ostensibly is a batman film but is really about 
the penguin and the Catwoman, and you know political corruption and uh, a woman who is like decided to not be timid anymore and own her sexuality so you've got you know you got like a fierce feminism message in this as well like it is just fascinating to look at on its surface before you even dig into the to to the subtextual stuff mm-hmm. and it's start and, and the thing is cargill i know that i've given a lot of shit to the current slate of batman films i've given a lot of shit to the the sort of edge lordy darkness of a Zack snyder batman film and i think maybe i was just conveniently forgetting that batman returns which is one of my absolute favorite batman movies begins with attempted infanticide what the fuck that's how this movie starts is you know we have the the we we open on the cobblepot mansion and the birth of oswald cobblepot uh, which is very distressing to his parents uh played by of course the the late great paul rubens because again this movie is just chock full of um of tim burton regulars so you got paul rubens here in a very small role playing mr cobblepot and it's really funny to me that his wife is is played by the actress who played Simone uh, uh, Diane Salinger in uh, in in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. So they ended up together, and then they have a mutant child. So you get you got your favorite your very David Lynchian opening with this sort of eraser head thing going on. But the, and then they go and they just dump this bassinet into the Gotham River, and it floats away. And our opening credits roll over this this bassinet floating you know, like Moses like down the river to be found by penguins. Like, it's just, that's the way this movie begins. Burton is not afraid to go dark with this movie. Well, but the thing is, is it's Burton dark, yeah. which is, it is equal parts dark and grimy and, uh, 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 hor- uh, uh and horror driven. Mm-hmm. And, other, uh, you know, the other half is, uh, technicolor, you know, uh, bright colors, clowns, um, you know, everything is both in the dark and well lit at the same time, uh, which is uh very Tim Burton and it, it, it's its own, it's its own thing. So yeah, you get this, you know, the parents don't actually kill the baby, but they put the bassinet in the sewer as like Moses in the river and you get, you know, the, the, the hope is something will take care of this thing. Uh, and, uh, then in the most interesting way it does. Which also sets up as sort of a foreshadowing of this movie's very Old Testament third act, where the penguin reveals that his plan is to kill all the firstborn sons of Gotham. When you open with Moses and you close with Moses, you're still sitting there wondering, is this a Batman film? <laughs> yeah. And and at the time, that's how I felt. Uh, you know, that's why I didn't like it. And on, you know, rewatching it, I realize why everybody's, you know, uh, reassessing this movie. Um, uh, that is reassessing. Some of you are like, I've always loved it. Great. Um, uh, you <laughs> got the better, you. you got the better experience. Um, but, uh, me, I, you know, seeing this and seeing, you know, that it is, it is a dark fairy tale because all these elements, like even though drawing from the Bible and in, in certain things, it, these are all fairy tale elements. Um, you know, a, a child being raised by penguins, and thus being a, you know, uh, a penguin man. And then, you know, to little, little bits that they put into the, uh, the, 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 uh, the film that never get fully paid off, but give you something, which is he ended up running off and joining the circus. Mm-hmm. Um, and the circus had to close down because l- young children kept disappearing near the, uh, um, 
near the circus, giving you the, you know, the intimate, the intimation that Penguin was eating fucking kids. And I hope that's what he was doing, because that's the nicest version of that story. <laughs> if there's one thing we can hope about Batman Returns, it's that the Penguin was just eating those kids. I mean, we I'm really saying hope. in the Batman universe, the Penguin is definitely one of Epstein's friends. Like he definitely <laughs> was on that plane. Yeah, I mean, he's he's at least on a watch list, like at the very least. Uh, people are scrubbing his his Google searches. I like to fill her void. I do think it's interesting, though. You know, the eraser head thing kind of came to me in the moment while describing that. But now that I think about it, Burton makes several overt references to David Lynch in this movie, uh, and one of them being the fact that he was a circus freak. And he has the the sort of paraphrased line at the end, like, "I am not a human being. I'm an animal, cold blooded," which is just the reverse of uh, John Merrick saying, "I'm not an animal. I'm a human being." So it's like Burton is like almost name dropping David Lynch in this movie, which, you know, accounts for between that and the German expressionism, like the the costume references to the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, the, the, the preponderance of historical references that really make you wonder like what the audience was for this movie. Like, you know, describing Max Schreck as a robber baron, and, you know, saying things like we have to do our own Reichstag fire. Like, I just it, it's just it's it's really interesting. The writing of this movie, because it does feel mm-hmm. like it's whatever Tim Burton was interested in and fuck anyone who didn't like it. And by the way, um, you mentioned that Robin was going to be in this movie, but you did not mention who was going to play Robin because of what Tim Burton wanted to do with this with the franchise. No, I mentioned Marlon Wayans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah, I did. I mean, I didn't spend too much time on him. You're right. But yeah, he was the guy who was cast. He signed a contract. He got paid. He just wasn't in the movie. And they did, in fact, make an action figure of him. Uh, But he's not in the movie. I mean, knowing what we know now, imagine Black Robin in 1992. You know, Cargill, it's the kind of thing that makes me really, really happy that there was not a Twitter in 1992. Like, it's just one of those things that I'm like, I I feel like it was a better time. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) That's just where you're going to end that sentence. Okay, fair. (laughs) I mean, look, if there was, I would have been a dipshit on Twitter when I was a fucking kid. When I met (laughs) Jess, she would go home, look me up on social media and go, I'm not dating this fucking tool bag. So, yeah, I'm kind of glad it doesn't fucking exist. And I don't have... I don't have my blunder years uh, digitally forever stitched online. <laughs> we don't need receipts. We know that we're idiots. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, it, it would have been interesting to see what the audience reaction is because honestly, there's so much other shit to get upset about. If you are a diehard Batman purist in this movie, that at a certain point, a black Robin is just like, okay, yeah, also that. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's so oh, yeah. much other no, stuff no, no. you're already going to be mad about. <laughs> yeah, no, and honestly, I don't think it would have been as big a deal as some of these other things are because they, they really are a result of uh, a, a culture of connection and a deliberate, organized effort to get where we are now uh, by some of the worst people in the world. Uh, and, uh, and there, there wasn't that kind of feeling then, 
Um, in fact, it, it, one of the things people forget uh, okay. is that when when Superman died in the comics, uh, he was split into four different people. And the question was, which one was going to be Superman? And one of them was black. Um, and so and that was not a huge deal to the the uh, the comic uh, fans. Uh, but then again, we were seeing weird things like that and no one was blinking because we didn't know better. Like when uh, Betsy Braddock uh, uh, went through the siege perilous and came out on the other side as uh, an Asian. Uh, and that's the Psylocke. Most of you remember uh, some of us grew up with very white British Psylocke. And uh, then that changed. We just were like, Oh, I guess it's that now. Um, uh, so yeah, maybe, maybe it would not have been as big a deal at the time um, and I'm just thinking of it in context of where we've, where we've come in the stops along the way. Like when we talked about, uh, black Spider-Man and people lost their mind, but then again, that was with the advent of the internet. So, mm. well, but then it's funny too, because when it was, you know, we're, we're pushing for Donald Glover as That's Spider-Man. What I was, yeah. I was actually referring to that. Not, not miles Morales, but, but, Donald it's, but, Glover. but you know what I mean? Like we rallied for that and not just we as in like you and I and, and our, our geekdom our did, yeah. geekdom did, which is when you think about how toxic fandom seems to be all fandom really at this point, because of the advent of social media, the idea that a United geekdom would push for a black Spider-Man, like seeing how they've reacted to, you know, race swapping other characters it's just it it's kind of baffling that for a moment we were all totally on board for that and it would have been great and we all were behind it like and, and i just feel like i want more of the push for donald glover is spider-man and less of the if you change the hair color of a character that was in a comic book then the internet will burn down i just I, I love i love that in the next the the first episode of the next season of community it shows them all kind of getting up and getting ready for their day and donald glover just stands up wearing spider-man pajamas he it knew. was just they knew and by the way that moment is also in um uh across the spider-verse um yep. that's that's on the television in the background uh so I love I love the the universe is woven together there. After these messages, we'll be right back. News alert: Someone is stealing Gotham City's power supply. Danger of citywide blackout. When you want a diet coke, you want a diet coke. After all, there's just one. <laughs> Diet Coke, just for the taste. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And I, I'm really interested in Danny DeVito as the penguin here because, you know, they had their, their list of people that they were considering, uh, you know, some of the, some of the choices make sense. Some of them are really bizarre, but you know, like Dustin Hoffman, Marlon Brando, like big, big names. Sure. But Danny DeVito in this role is so fucking good at being so fucking gross in multiple ways yeah it's not a version of of the penguin that we i mean we at this point like we're going off of burgess meredith and his iteration of this like just sort of annoying voiced socialite who is very much the way he was drawn in the comics and by the way burgess meredith was going to play oswald's father in the prologue of this film but he actually uh fell ill during the production so that's why paul rubens plays him um but yeah it's like that's that's the image we knew and this penguin seems a deliberate subversion of that to the mm-hmm. point that when they put the cigarette holder in his mouth the first time he spits it out like fuck this what is this like that moment is everything you need to know about tim burton's view of the penguin and how he was going to portray him where it was like we're not just not going to do the comic book version of the penguin, but we're going to actively subvert that and make people very uncomfortable because what the what Danny DeVito's penguin really is is a combination of like the Phantom of the Opera. So you got you know Burton's obsession with the Universal monsters, but also a little bit of what he would become in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Could be worse. <gasps> My nose could be gushing blood. Your <laughs> 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 nose could be. <laughs> <laughs> Like, there's a lot of Frank in this penguin. No, there's a lot of horny fucking penguin in this movie. Yeah, but to the point that he can't even get through his own schemes because he keeps being blinded by lusts and, and you know, and and uh, gluttony and all this. Like, he literally is Frank Reynolds with a long nose, like, is essentially who the penguin is in this movie. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's very... It, it, it was something that was kind of unsettling at the time, but we got it. Uh, but like watching it again, um, really just how fucking horny he is, is so weird. <laughs> so so weird. weird. He is. He's just, he's gropy. He's very gropy. 100%. This is a very horny film on top of that. Um, you know, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Michael Keaton are absolutely fucking horny for each other. Oh, oh are you talking about their fuck fighting? Oh, yeah. they're, they're actively engaged in fuck fighting throughout this movie. Oh, yeah. It's just like they're literally like every time they, they, they make a double entendre and then one of them smacks the other one and you could just see them both getting wet. Like every punch, <laughs> they're both getting wet, which is hard to do in that much latex, but they are fucking doing it. They, they are doing it and doing it and doing it well. Um, no, actually, my favorite my favorite moment in this movie is the the mistletoe moment where they both realize who each other is when they're dancing. 
and you see the tears in her eyes and she goes, Does, do we have to start fighting now? Yes. Like she's, it's, you feel the heartbreak where she's like, I finally found somebody who gets me and he's about to whoop my ass. <laughs> it's so good. And, and yeah. I got to say, just, just real quick, one more thing about the Danny DeVito gross penguin thing and under the amount of incredible makeup where he just absolutely transforms into this. And I love the, like, we're going to make him look avian. Like he's not going to look exactly like he looked in the comics. He's going to be a literal circus freak. He's going to be half man, half bird. And it's like this weird sort of like David Cronenberg take on the character, which I really appreciate, but I love that it was so gross that it, it fucked up the toy industry a little bit. Like, because even though this movie was like somebody taking the Danny, the dog collar off of Tim Burton and him just going full Tim Burton, they marketed the movie as if it were the 89 Batman again. So you had a whole line of toys that included the penguin, but because Danny DeVito's penguin was so fucking gross, they were like, there is not a child in America who's going to buy an action figure that looks like that. So what did they do? They got the old 1980s super friends version of the penguin action figure and just dyed it black. Mm -hmm. And I know this because I had both. Like my grandmother found a whole set of the like super friends action figures at a garage sale. And my brother and I had them as kids and they were amazing. But then when Batman returns comes out, which is one of the, like the 89 Batman, I do believe is the first movie that I actively remember wanting and getting merchandise from. Like, I'm sure I had merchandise from pre, but it was the first one I remember vividly. And, you know, I had like the action figures. I had the, the the Batwing that had the weird gripper claw on the front. I had the Batmobile. And by the time Batman Returns came out, I was full on collecting action figures. I was collecting the trading cards. I was all about it. But the toy had to be sort of sterilized a bit because Tim Burton's version of the Penguin was so fucking gross that when McDonald's decided to do its uh, Happy Meal toys, not only did they have to go with the, the nicer, friendlier version of the Penguin, but parents groups were so enraged by this movie that they like that McDonald's caught come of some of the like contact outrage. And they're like, how could you promote this movie with Happy Meal toys? And McDonald's at this point decides to try and pull off the biggest lie in marketing, which is that they issued a statement saying that they weren't promoting the movie. They were just promoting Batman as in like the comic book character, which is such fucking bullshit. When the four toys were a Batman vehicle, a penguin vehicle, and two cat women, two cat woman vehicles. Like, why well, just happened to be those characters, but not promoting the movie that's out right now with those kids? Like, who do you think you're fooling, McDonald's? Like, who fucking cares? Like, just sell the Happy Meal toys. And they did, but then they issued this statement that was just the worst fucking lie ever. And it's all because the studio expected one thing, but they gave Burton a leash to do whatever he wanted. And that is why I love this movie so much is because it's a giant middle finger to what became the marketing machine for all superhero movies. Yeah. That we didn't even know was a thing yet. It was just starting to be a thing. It was the promise of the thing. It was and, the uh, promise of the thing. That's what this movie's tagline should have been. And and to, to talk about that, because I don't know if we've really gone into that, um, the rest of the 90s, was a complete fucking bust for superheroes. Mm -hmm. Everything fucking failed. Um, in fact, I remember reading an article in 97 called uh, in Entertainment Weekly called Super Zero, 
uh, why can't Hollywood make a successful superhero movie? And it was, it was uh, based on the failure of spawn uh, and was going Uh, over the fact that apart from the Batman movies, nothing else has fucking worked and they couldn't get anything else off the ground. Couldn't get Spider-Man off the ground. Couldn't get X-Men off the ground. Like, uh, uh, you know, we were, we were at the time fan casting Danny DeVito as Wolverine. Dude, there were so many interesting, really interesting fan castings for Wolverine and rumors for Wolverine and who studios with Bob Hoskins as Wolverine. Sign me the absolute fuck up. I don't even care if the movie sucks. Sign me up. (laughs) Bob Hoskins was actually one of the people they considered for the penguin in this movie. Not a shocker, not a shocker and not something I would have hated. I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't think Bob Hoskins would have given this kind of performance. Like the thing is, I can't imagine anybody doing a better job at this penguin than Danny DeVito. Like he's just absolutely perfect for it. You can sit and argue all day over who's the better Selena Kyle, but you're never going to find a better penguin, which is why I think we haven't seen one. You know, what's interesting is uh, the idea of a penguin who is not only slimy and gropey, but also hairy, like Bob Hoskins would have been a very hairy penguin. Oh yeah, yeah. All right, I'm I'm half bird. I, I'm a half bird now, ain't it? Like a Cockney fucking hairy penguin, Cargill. I understand what you're saying, and you're um, to quote you, you're not wrong. <laughs> but I still want to peer into that universe for just a few minutes. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I am Catwoman. Hear me roar. And of course, Catwoman in this movie, who became iconic in so many ways. Uh, was originally Annette Benning. Annette Benning was cast. They were ready to roll. They were ready to start shooting. And then Tim Burton gets a phone call, and Annette Benning says, I'm sorry, Tim, but I am pregnant. And Tim Burton talks about that moment, about how he like lived in two realities at once of being incredibly happy for her and also wanting to like jump into a, a chasmless void and just never be seen again because he didn't know what he was going to do. And that really, you know, prior to casting Annette Benning. Once it got out that they were casting uh, Catwoman, pretty much every actress from like 20 to to 40 working in Hollywood was like, I want to be the Catwoman. And like to the point that like Sean Young showed up at Warner Brothers in a cat suit and was just like jumping over furniture like I am Catwoman. But, but, but Sean Young was doing that kind of stuff at the time, which is why Sean Young got a reputation. Well, Sean Young was also showing up in cat suits to be in other movies that didn't have Catwoman in them, and I think that was kind of what the problem was. Uh, but the, my point is, there was a lot of interest in this, and they end up going with Michelle Pfeiffer because there's just something so striking about about her and about the way she looks. And then when you add that costume, that brilliant fucking leather costume that looks like it was as as uncomfortable as she has stated it definitively was but just looks incredible. And my favorite part about that costume, Cargill, is that it slowly degrades throughout the whole movie because it's that weird trope that would become part of superhero films where it's like the characters are making their own costumes. And even though they may or may not have sewn anything together in their lives, like they all come out looking like professional costume designer costumes. And it never really makes a lot of sense, but we just kind of go with it. And my favorite part about Batman Returns is like before that was even a trope, they're almost making fun of it by the fact that her costume keeps it like falling apart. Like this is a woman who turned a leather jacket into this 
outfit somehow, but a woman who had a sewing machine, who had needles and thread, who you assume had some experience in, in you know, seamstress work. So you don't entirely doubt that she could put something together. But just the fact that even her design is falling apart throughout the course of the movie, the stitches are coming apart. There's holes in it from fights and it never gets repaired. And I fucking love that. It's such a weird, like subtle nod to the fact that this woman has given away all fucks. Yeah. Yeah. She had nine lives. She had nine fucks and they're all dead. Yeah, no. And she, you know, uh, by dying, she, uh, um, uh, she takes her power back and becomes a very interesting character. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and, and can't be that person anymore. She can't even pretend to be that person anymore. Like she's so repulsed by who she was. She becomes somebody totally different. And also that someone totally different is someone that, uh, all of a sudden Bruce Wayne falls for, uh, Bruce Wayne doesn't fall for the meek secretary. He falls for the 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 broken, awakened woman. And I'm so happy that you mentioned that, Cargill, because one of my favorite things, since this is the first Batman movie that we've covered on the show, this is my first opportunity to talk about Michael Keaton as Batman. And what I love about Michael Keaton as Batman that no other actor has done is he allowed Bruce Wayne to have moments of being completely bumbling, to have moments where he was a goofball, to have moments where he's not the perfectly suave or brooding like it, it's just this this thing that i feel like all bruce wayne's from this point forward had to just be models had to just like stand there and be handsome and then be the hero and there was never really anything human about bruce wayne except for his origin which is why every fucking bruce wayne after this even though we know the story, we got to see the goddamn pearls again. Why? Because it's the only thing that's humanized a Bruce Wayne since Keaton. Keaton humanizes Bruce Wayne by just not being like fully assured of himself, by kind of stumbling at times, by, you know, in this when he meets Selena Kyle, when he, you know, meets the Selena Kyle Catwoman version who has completely taken her sexuality back and is like in control of herself in the room. He's like stumbling over his words. Yeah, we've met. Have we? Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I mistook me for somebody else. Sorry. You mean mistook me? I mistook me. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, isn't that what I said? No, I don't think so. He can't get a sentence out, and he's just completely taken by her to the point that he's tripping over himself. And what I love about that is not only does it offset the subsequent self-seriousness that we would get in the, you know, the further iterations of Bruce Wayne, but it also plays with the idea that Bruce Wayne is really the alter ego. Bruce Wayne is the uncomfortable mask that he wears. When he's not Batman, he's he's not really himself. Like Batman is his true form and Bruce Wayne is the act, is the mask that he puts on. And I love that he's not fully comfortable in that costume and that's something that only really Michael Keaton has done to allow Batman to just kind of be a goof at times. And I know that that sounds weird but it's my favorite thing about Michael Keaton as Batman. Yeah, yeah, no, he's he's an interesting bat, uh, Batman. What did you think of his uh, uh, appearance in The Flash? That was the only thing I liked about that movie. Uh, so I mean, I guess uh, I guess you could say mission accomplished there. Yeah, I'm I'm actually I, I I I don't hate that movie. I actually there's a lot of things I like about that movie, and uh, 
Um, I will say that I am happy for you that you enjoyed that movie. That is, that is what I will say. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's not. It's certainly nowhere near perfect, but there's things I did enjoy about that film, and I did enjoy getting to see Keaton as Batman again, uh, yes. even after he had made fun of it with Birdman. Right. Um, so uh, it's uh, um, uh, uh, it's it's interesting, and also you know it's uh, there's <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but it was a meme that went around uh, last year. Uh, but it's Doctor Manhattan sitting on Mars, um, uh, thinking to himself, reflecting on his life, experiencing his life in many moments. And it starts off. It uh, it is 1989. I am eight years old. I am watching a darker, grittier Batman movie. It is 2005. I am 24 years old. I am watching a darker, grittier Batman movie. It is 2022. I am 40 years old. I am watching a darker, grittier Batman movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I I'm I, I'm sort of like owning up to a lot of the the darkness in this movie and how I lament the the Edge Lord shit now. But then again, I think about if like Zack Snyder did Batman Returns, then not only would they have thrown that baby in the river, but then like he would have grown up and found ways to mark them. So they got extra raped in prison. And like, you know, like it would have gone to levels where it's like, OK, now this just isn't fun anymore. Like Tim Burton manages to find a level of darkness that is still, I guess, just on the cusp of camp enough to make the movie fun. It's 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 a fairy tale. But when when I said earlier that it's fairy tale, it's not like one of the good, happy fairy tales. Not like bright sunshine. It's, it's like Brothers a, fairy tales. It is a Grimm's Brothers fairy tale. That's what I'm talking about. Which are like, not the Disney fied versions we were fed as kids. When the Little Mermaid walks on her newfound, new given legs, it feels like, and this is in the text, shards of glass are digging into her feet. Yeah, and that's what this is. You know, co- the 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 end scene with Cobblepot, where his um, uh, where his penguins uh give him the procession to drop him into the water and give him his funeral procession when you know uh selena kyle murders max shrek um and we find his completely cooked corpse his large marge-esque corpse yes yeah uh these are you know um when we don't know if selena kyle is um uh uh alive or not and then we get that final moment of seeing the bat sing signal and you expecting batman to come into frame and instead it's her like these are the endings to fairy tales mm-hmm. you know this is you know the, the S- selena kyle loves the batman but they're not going to be together and she knows it and they're arch enemies and this this movie ends as a dark twisted fairy tale and uh and it lives that way the whole time and if you look at it that way it 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 makes so much more sense and the thing is as much as there is darkness in this movie as much as the the fairy tale is more Grimm's brothers than it is Disney. And yes, I know the little mermaid is Hans Christian Anderson. She, your fucking tweets. I don't want to hear it. I don't care. There are moments of this movie just being a really fucking awesome action film. Like pretty much everything involving the red triangle gang is perfection for me in this film. Like just the idea that he has a circus full of maniacs that at any moment can jump on motorcycles or, you know, do their acrobatics as martial arts or Batman can take the sword out of the sword swallower's throat and use it on people like fuck yes fuck yes fuck yes that like and it's every bit the idea from the 60s Batman show where the villain of the week would have an army of just goons and these goons would usually wear shirts that just said goon on it do you know what I mean like 
the Red Triangle Gang is the Penguin's army of goons, but they're so visually interesting, and they they afford the movie so many opportunities for great action sequences, and it gives us Vincent Schiavelli in this movie as the organ grinder. It does. I was about to. I was about to mention that. Yeah, no, they 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 really do look like really interesting uh, goons. And also what I what I dig about is it feels like they're goons who are goons for a reason instead of goons. You got it. Goon are us. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes, yes. You know, by the way, since we're talking cast, we've like danced around the fact that while um, uh, Christopher Walken is in this movie, his son is played by fucking Leatherface. Yeah. So. Chip Brianarski, or excuse me, Chip, I called him Chip. Andrew, Andrew Brianarski Br- in this movie. My favorite thing about him playing Chip is he is also doing a Christopher Walken impression. And my yes. favorite, my favorite moment is when the Red Triangle Gang tries to take Max Shrek, and he stands up and goes, "Dad, go save yourself." It's just like, <laughs> I, I, that moment's pretty great. And the best part is Max Shrek does it. Max Shrek leaves his kid and just takes off to save himself. Yeah, I uh, um, I actually had a crazy night with uh, uh, Um I was at a you got to uh, hang out with Zangief. Oh, dude, dude, I went to a strip club with Zangief. You motherfucker. <laughs> Sideball! Sideball! I went to yeah a whole bunch of us were at a uh, convention out uh, a horror convention out in the middle of nowhere. This was ages ago. It was like fifteen years ago, uh, but it had all of the leather faces and most of the Jasons and all ever and Tony Todd was there and everyone was just like let's go to a strip club and Brynarski's like oh yeah no I'm friends with the uh, the lead guitarist from Pantera and he's got this great strip club in town so let's all drive in town and so like forty a horror filmmakers and film critics all just kind of truck over to this strip club and they, they weren't going to let us in because they were at capacity, but brain like, no, 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 these guys are cool. They're with me. They're with me. And the guy from Pantera just nods and goes, let him in. And fucking <laughs> went into a strip club with a bunch of leather faces and Jason's. Let's check the score on that story. You win. Perfect. <laughs> God damn. That's amazing. That is fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah, and a, a friend of the show who's been on a couple of times, Jason Murphy was there along for the ride. It was a crazy fucking night. And it's like, you got that going on in the red triangle game. You red triangle gang. You also have Doug Jones and you have Gregory Scott Cummins from uh, action USA. And also it's always sunny in Philadelphia. He plays Max dad. And part of me wonders if that's where he met DeVito and how he got hooked up with that show. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, just like, the cast of this movie like the further you dig down like just more and more people you recognize and everybody's just fucking delivering but oh my god let's finally talk about it christopher walken in this movie has max shrek who again just feels like all they did was turn christopher walken up to 11 like they just they have walken doing a parody version of walken like right down to the hair like Christopher Walken has always had big, tall, imposing hair. And in fact, the story from A View to a Kill is that his actor's choice was that he had decided that Max Zorin's hair was actually in charge of his body. And if you watch that movie, he leads every scene with his hair because in his mind, there's like an alien in the hair that controls everything. Again, the hair is a big deal with Christopher Walken. It always has been. But it's like huge and blown out and white. And it's just like even more Walken than Walken. 
And he's just, every line he delivers sounds like he's doing an impression of himself. Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed up like Batman? And I am here for it. I am here for the man who manages to be the only non-masked and or non-latex laden animal person to stand out in this movie. A man who is above the title, fourth build, but still above the title because he is the uh, he's he's the third villain of this movie, which is mm-hmm. just capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> capitalism is the is the thing that's really choking gotham and it's represented by christopher walken and i love every fucking weird choice he makes in this movie yeah yeah no it's uh uh it's it's great he's he he manages to hold his own against two fucking titanic performances of supervillains because really you know those are those those are legendary performances. Even, even at the time when the, um, when the movie was had such a mixed reception, everyone agreed that Michelle Pfeiffer was fucking Catwoman, uh, and was fucking hot as Catwoman, and that it was a great performance, and that everything about her it was fucking Catwoman. And you've got to share scenes with her. You've got to share scenes with Danny DeVito. Fucking going all in, and he still holds his own. He, he I mean, he doesn't just hold his own. He's stealing scenes at points yeah like yeah and and his whole storyline of pushing selena kyle out the window because she's uncovered that his big plan for a power plant is to essentially steal power and hold it hostage from gotham he pushes her out that window and then part of me wonders cargill if catwoman just has like massive cte for the rest of this movie like if like this is really a story about a woman who has suffered massive brain damage and is like that's that's the whole character from that point forward is like just someone with with horrifying ct he's <laughs> basically going through the same thing that you know like former nfl players go through oh yeah yeah no it's uh uh yeah she uh uh that that would be kind of <laughs> there's a lot that could be done with that actually i had not thought that through and that's that's interesting like maybe none of the maybe oswald is like he just stays in the sewer forever and nothing else ever happens, and the whole rest of the movie is just her hallucination. Because it would explain how, like, there's this weird sleepwalkers moment where cats literally revive her, and she seems to actually have nine lives, which is addressed but never explained. Like, it's mentioned but never explained how she does seem to have uh, the supernatural ability to survive, like, gunshots and all this other shit. So it's just, it's it's a theory, I guess. It's just a theory, but it is a theory. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a functioning theory. It's a functioning theory as far as we are concerned. After these messages, we'll be right back. The signal goes out. Crime is on the rise. Batman returns. Exploding with power, the bat ski boat thunders ahead, bolting onto land for a missile attack. Gonna fly, my dear Penguin Commandos. The time has come to punish Batman. Deep-dive Batman surfaces. Fire! Tearing into battle, Batman blasts his torpedo. King, all wet. Gotham City's greatest hero. Batcave Command Center and figures sold separately. Some assembly required. Batman returns. I mentioned Bo Welch and this production design, but like this is a movie that took over pretty much every soundstage at Warner Brothers and was like the biggest movie that they had done in terms of just the amount of facility that it was occupying and the fact that they had like entire refrigerated sets to have real snow and, you know, get this winter look going, which is my favorite part of the movie. Again, that it's a Christmas superhero movie. 
And then they had further refrigerated sets for all the real penguins that they had in this movie. So this movie was kind of its own cottage industry taking over Warner Brothers. It was a big deal. It was very hyped for quite some time. This was this was a huge fucking deal. It's honestly it's why I think it got the reception that it got. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, in addition to be d- diverging from the source material uh, and being such a wackadoo kind of movie, um, it really was very very hyped, very very hard, and we walked in with all that hype and felt let down. And I think the Bo Welch's contribution is that he gives us the look of what would become the look of a Burton film, yep. which is that at every turn, Gotham City looks like the cold gates of hell. And it's just like this really interesting sort of paradox where you feel like you're in Paradise Lost, but it's freezing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just really, really fascinating. The the choices that are made with these giant statues and this sort of uh, this sort of art deco and, and postmodern uh neorealistic like all this architecture that's really really interesting and the use of matte paintings and real sets and and forced perspective like one of the things that the imdaba touches upon and again take this with a grain of salt i don't know for sure but that this is one of the last truly big blockbusters to be shot in that sort of old-fashioned style with a lot of matte paintings and and forced perspective and and like very very little actual digital accompaniment like pretty much the shields on the batmobile and the flying like programmable bat batarang are the only real digital effects in this movie. Everything else is accomplished like in a very old fashioned way, which is another thing I think I really love about this movie. And then people like Danny Elfman, who of course have been with Tim Burton from the very beginning, who are instrumental in the creation of the, the, the Tim Burton aesthetic. I love what he did in that first movie. That Batman theme is incredible. It's iconic. I honestly think his work in Batman returns is better. Because in Batman Returns, he's having to find various different themes to create without the assistance of Prince, without the ability to, you know, lean into some of these moments and have the the Prince soundtrack, which is also very iconic and, and you know, memorable. Oh, yeah. But that, that did a lot of the heavy lifting, I feel, in the first movie. And in this one, he's developing all these themes for all these different characters and really the the variations and the the places that he goes i think this is a in terms of his work as a composer this is far better than the first one and i don't think it gets enough credit yeah no no it's there's it's really really great uh uh work and uh yeah that but that original batman theme by elfman is fucking legendary 100 uh, it is the batman theme do you know what i mean like other media has used it it is the batman theme yeah, yeah, no, and it like does somebody did a punk uh, a punk version of it? Like 20 years ago that was passed around on all the various uh download sites. Um that is just fucking amazing. You know, it's a punk ska version of the uh, of Elfman's Batman theme and it fucking rips because it's fucking good. And then you have people like Stan Winston, you know, coming in just to make penguin animatronics and, you know, like penguin costumes for people to be in. So then in those scenes with the flocks, you know, some of those penguins are real. Some of them are animatronics. And the best part is you really like even if you're like pausing in high definition, sometimes you can't tell. 
and there's a great anecdote about Stan Winston after they shot a scene, went to collect all the animatronic penguins, and he found a real penguin cuddling with one of the animatronics. So the animatronic penguins were so good they fooled actual penguins. So that's I think if there is not a higher compliment to you know the master Stan Winston's work than that particular anecdote. But yeah, just so much amazing in terms of the visuals, the special effects, the costuming, the makeup. Like this movie is creating something so larger than life. And it's so beautiful to look at, even in its most grotesque moments. Like even when there's just black goo oozing out of the penguin's mouth, which incidentally was one of the trading cards I had. And you start to understand how the studio had such a hard time marketing this and why when it came time for there to be another Batman movie, it went from, we definitely want Burton to make all the Batman movies to, Tim, don't you want to go back and make movies like Edward Scissorhands again? And Tim being like, oh, you guys don't want me to make the next movie. And then being like, oh, no, that's not what we said. And he's just like, you know what? Fine, I'm, I'm done. He got a whiff of the fact that the studio didn't want him to do the next movie because the, the, the darkness of this film made it difficult to market this to kids. And that's why they go with Joel Schumacher for the next one and why we never got Batman Continues, which was going to be the third film with the terrible title <laughs> that I hope would have gotten annexed, uh, axed at some point. Uh, but yeah, that was where they were going to, you know, they're going to bring in Robin. Uh, there were unconfirmed rumors that Brad Dourif was maybe going to play the scarecrow. Catwoman was going to come back. Like there was so many things that they were already kind of looking to do in the next Burton Batman movie. And because of the studio's hesitance, because they looked at this film and went, it's not really a Batman movie. It's not a movie that, that parents can really bring their kids to. They, you know, that's why Schumacher steps in, and that's why the next movies are so different. But I think what I love most about Batman Returns is for all the darkness, it allows the movie to be silly. There's such silly, like the moment where Christopher Walken as Max Shrek is in his sort of final showdown with Catwoman and he's bargaining with her. He's like, I can get you whatever you want money, jewels, a very big ball of string. Like, that's such a fucking silly joke. And I love that it's in here, and I love that those moments exist as much as the the dark weird old testament killing of the firstborn kid plan or it, because for all of those moments there's a moment where penguin is given a patent speech to a bunch of actual fucking penguins that's in this movie too my dear penguin we stand on a great threshold it's okay to be scared you won't be coming back it absolutely is and to your point cargill about him definitely being a friend of epstein during that speech <laughs> he has one of the weirdest lines of dialogue that you would ever expect to hear i guess in a batman film but really in any movie which is that like why discriminate the sexes are equal with their erogenous zones blown sky high yep that is a line that he says to encourage an army of penguins to go blow up Gotham City. It, It's just goofy. Like, for all the darkness of the movie, it's not afraid to be goofy. And I honestly love that. And I love how singular it makes this movie. And, you know, looking back on it now, I find new things to appreciate, uh, appreciate about this movie. Not the least of which being Batman's not wearing real Batman boots. He's wearing Jordan 6s with boot tops on them. Batman is wearing Air Jordan 6s in this movie. Come on. How am I not going to love this film? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that is that is absolutely true. This is a Batman film where Batman not only has a CD player that is branded in the Batcave. Why does that exist? Don't know. But he also has stationary Cargill. He, the Penguin gets delivered a note from Batman in Bob Kane's handwriting on Batman stationary. Like, what is that? What is that like? Like from the desk of Batman? From the desk of the Batman. Bat dictated, but not bat read. Like, what? What the fuck is going on here? What is happening? And I love, I love that you know the penguin jumps into a giant rubber ducky mobile, and and burns rubber ducky in this rubber ducky mobile. Like, it's not afraid to be silly. It's dark and it's brooding, and you know the movie opens with. Bruce Wayne just kind of sitting in his study. We don't know for how long. How long was he sitting there before the bat signal came into that room? Is that just what he does? Does he just sit there day and night hoping that that bat signal comes into the room? We don't know. I like to think he was sitting there all goddamn day waiting for that to happen. <laughs> but then on top of that, like there are themes in this movie that like make me I don't know, that just really make me pine. Like for for example, you know, you have that moment where Oswald is giving a campaign speech, right? And again, we're dealing with this very sort of fascist Gotham City and this very capitalist Gotham City. And I just like in the Batman starts playing the 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 recording of what Penguin said to him when he took over his car, which is also a fucking great scene in this movie. You gotta admit, I played this stinking city like a heart from hell. And there's that moment where I'm just like, do you remember the days, Cargill, where if you played incriminating audio of, you know, something that a a sinister politician actually said or video of stuff they actually did, that it did completely destroy them? Like, that was the end for them? Like, we don't live in that time anymore. Like, we've gone, like, fascist to a degree that we can't even trust that to bring down. Like, nobody's going to have eggs and tomatoes at that speech. They're all just going to say fake news. (laughs) <laughs> i pined for the days where if you showed a video of a bad guy doing a bad thing that was it for them that's all yeah. i'm saying well yes but this is you're you're also you're giving a criticism in a universe where a billionaire decides to use his money for good instead of evil so uh <laughs> let's let's not go too far into the reality elon musk could be fucking batman right now and instead he's sh- fucking up twitter and and <laughs> making cars that are getting recalled that's it's it's bananas he's he's making the the penguin hijacked batmobiles that just crash into walls like that's ba- <laughs> i mean he's basically a supervillain he's not batman and honestly if we subscribe to the cte theory then batman is just a guy that's beating up the mentally ill like people with brain trauma he's just beating up on so i mean and he may be using his money for good in his own mind, but maybe Batman's not good. Maybe he's just a guy that goes out and picks on deranged homeless people. We don't know. But I love this movie. I, I love everything about it. I love how weird it gets. I think, you know, big swings and interesting visuals and great casts and great performances, scenery chewing or not, like these are the kind of things that we check off the boxes for junk food cinema. These are our core values represented in this one movie that, in and of itself represents another core value, which is just being an oddity, existing in a time that didn't know what to do with it. Like, really, that really fascinates me. That's something I appreciate about so many different films. And this one, you know, is entertaining in and of itself. On on the surface, you can appreciate what it is. When you start thinking about it within the context 
of when it came out, what they were looking for, how these movies got marketed, you know, with these movies and down the road, it is just absolutely engrossing. And I love that. Yeah. No, it is a it is a fascinating film and a film that structurally is interesting because it's a superhero movie that's not about its superhero. It's about its villains. And uh and that is a bold choice. And the thing is is the villains are so strong that, you know, um when we do go to our hero, because we 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 don't see him hardly at all in the first <laughs> the first act. Um uh it 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 elevates everything that's going on. It's just so well done. It's such an interesting experiment in um in superhero storytelling. Uh, and I, I, I'm really glad I reassessed it. I, I think everybody was right on this one to go back and revisit. It's if you've not revisited, you should revisit because there's a lot here to really love. And it's interesting too, because this movie wasn't quite the success that the first one was, but it was a massive success. Yeah. Like the critical response to this was terrible, but the movie made a shit ton of money. This movie like made so much money in its first three days that it set like Guinness records. It made $47.7 million in its first three days, which at the time was a record. It was like breaking records for sequels. It was breaking like this movie made bank. And just because it was different and weird and the studio didn't exactly know how to market this to kids, you know, they pass on the opportunity of Burton completing his trilogy. And I would love to peer into the universe where he did get to make that third one and maybe we wouldn't be talking about it with the same reverence as we do you know the second one which i like more than the first one and that's saying something because i really like the 89 batman but i like batman returns more and maybe the third one wouldn't have held up to that but i still want to be able to peer into that universe and see what he would have done because yeah this is burton at full burton and you should always go full burton when it comes to Batman, evidently. <laughs> if you always wanted to get your hands on Batman, drop into McDonald's. Where Batman Returns is on a dramatic series of 32-ounce collector cups with flying crispy bat disc lids straight from the movie. You can pick up a large drink in one of six superhero collector cups at a special price when you buy any extra value meal. Because what you want is what you get at McDonald's today. And that brings us to the junk food pairing. And Cargill, for this one, I went with a large McDonald's Coke in one of six superhero collector cups with flying frisbee bat disc lids straight from the movie at a special price when you buy any extra value meal i remember these cups being such a huge deal cargo i remember collecting these cups i remember drinking out of these cups for years my grandmother still has the catwoman cup that that we had when we were kids and the added the added thing of the lid is a frisbee no it's not it's just a lid i guess you can throw it but it's just a fucking soda lid uh, but the fact that they call it a flying frisbee bat disc, like again, just like trying to market this movie as hard as they possibly could, despite the fact that you know Happy Meals and Oswald Cobblepot saying you know their erogenous zones blown sky high are not two things that a happy marriage make. I still just I I I think of Batman Returns, watching it as a kid, collecting the trading cards, and drinking out of those McDonald's cups. So that is my junk food pairing for this movie. Uh, I'll go with that. That is as good as it gets. Did you did you have any of the the Batman collector cups or any memorabilia from this movie at all? 
No, no, I had plenty from the previous film because you could not get away from it. And we were all wearing, you know, the the, the most popular T-shirt of the, the year was the black T-shirt with the yellow logo on it. Of course. Um, but for this one, uh, it was one of those films that was kind of, I felt it was such a disappointment that, no, I didn't collect any of the, uh, the memorabilia. I was also just a little too old to, because uh, this came out when I was, uh, I guess, uh, 16, 17 uh, so I was just a little too old for uh, Happy Meal toys. That's fair. That's totally fair. I was the perfect age for this. Like I remember, I would go to the comic book store next to my karate dojo because I took karate for like three months, and uh, it was right next to a comic book store. So every day I would get to karate a little bit early, go to the comic book store, and buy a pack of uh, Batman Returns trading cards. And it was I was so happy. It was like it was like the thing that I loved to, more the cards than the karate if I'm being honest with myself but uh, I loved those fucking trading cards and there should probably never have been trading cards marketed to kids folks I hope that all of you out there have a very merry holiday season and that it's filled with joy and laughter and maybe some missile toting penguins I don't know I don't know what you celebrate I don't want to tread upon your religion but I just want to let y'all know that we are wishing you the happiest of holidays and a great new year from junk food cinema thank you for walking in a winter wonderland with us and we will continue this as december moves on as the winter moves on uh but this this i'm so happy that we got to talk about this movie and uh cargill please tell people where they can find you on the interwebs uh you can find me sitting next to my fireplace drinking fucking hot cocoa it's fucking christmas leave me the fuck alone (laughs) you're a mean one mr cargill Awesome. You can find me on Twitter when I'm not also sitting and drinking cocoa at uh, Junk Food Cinema, at Bry Guy Salisbury, and at Replay Preview, the wrestling podcast I do with my brother Blake and my friend Dan covering all of the WWF pay-per-views of the 21st century. And by the way, speaking of that show and my brother Blake, I want to take this opportunity to wish congratulations to Blake and his wife who just welcomed their first child Opa. Uh, a couple weeks ago. So uh, we have we have a new Salisbury, folks. And uh, look upon him in despair at the fact that there is now another Salisbury. You're welcome, universe. And if you really like the show. I mean, you really like the show. You like it as much as I absolutely love the backlash against McDonald's Happy Meals toys for Batman Returns. You can go to patreon.com slash junk food cinema. It's a great way to give in this season of giving and ensure that we can keep the lights on in the cold months here at junk food cinema. But we'll get out of here and just want to remind you that Mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. But seriously, don't fucking eat mistletoe. It's weird that we have to tell you guys that. Hey, Junkions, because you've been extra good this year, I thought I'd give you an extra Junkmas treat. Not to throw more fire onto the McDonald's Batman Returns Happy Meal toy controversy, which is a sentence I just said out loud because I love my job. But in researching the show, I did come across something very interesting. Now, McDonald's claims that its Happy Meal toys were not promoting Batman Begins, but instead just promoting Batman the character, right? Well, here's some more evidence that that might have been a slightly retcon stance, because if you listen to this commercial, they clearly talk about the fact that these are Batman Returns Happy Meal toys. Listen. Right now, there are four Batman Returns toys at McDonald's. A different one each week for 69 cents each while supplies last. But then later they redo the commercial. Listen to this. 
Batman, there's something going on at McDonald's. Better check it out. It's the Batman Happy Meal with one of four Batman toys. There's the Press and Go Razor, Penguin Roadster, Catwoman's Coop, or the Batmobile. One toy with each Happy Meal you buy. They add, like, friendlier Ronald McDonald-y music, and then they even add a narrator who sounds like uh, the Commissioner Gordon from the 60s Batman TV show. Batman, this is really big. Batman. To make it lighter, right? And they never say Batman Returns. They just say Batman characters. This to me is crazy. McDonald's claiming it never was promoting Batman Returns, even though it put out commercials claiming it was absolutely promoting Batman Returns. Straight from the movie. McDonald's, you don't really think you'll win, do you? When YouTube exists? I don't know. It's okay to promote dark things to kids is all I'm saying on this holiday season. Merry Batmas, everyone.